This podcast is brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear Farm and Ranch. Jack's is your one-stop shop for everyone on your holiday list. Now more than ever, give the gift of adventure, time outdoors, fun, hard work, and a job well done. Let one of the experts at Jack's find a gift sure to wow your family and friends. Visit one of their stores along the Front Range and check out the unique shopping experience. Or visit www.jacksgoods.com for more info. One quick note before we begin. This episode is about two recently solved cold cases, the 1996 homicides of two newborn baby girls. Because of the content of these cases, that means there are going to be some details in this episode that may be disturbing to some people. Uh, So please keep that in mind before you listen in. Last week, I met Andy Josie at the base of Horsetooth Reservoir, and together we drove up over Dixon Dam, and I pulled over onto a small dirt turnoff. Within 15 minutes, another driver had pulled up next to my car, and I thought I was in trouble at first. But it was just a nice young man visiting from North Carolina. It was his first time in Colorado, his first time at Horsetooth. He just pulled over for a quick photo from the Fort Collins foothills. So you missed all the fire smoke, though, didn't you? I literally came in the night before the snowstorm. Oh, no snow everywhere. It was late at night. I saw none of it. I wake up, snow everywhere. Yeah. Like, well, welcome. That guy talking to him, by the way, is Andy. They're making some small talk. Where are you from? What are you studying in school? Public health? Ah, what do you want to do with that? It was a friendly interaction in a beautiful setting. But later, I was thinking about it, and I just couldn't get the juxtaposition of that scene out of my head. You see, Andy is a retired lieutenant with the Larimer County Sheriff's Office. He worked there for about 35 years. And when we were driving up to Horsetooth together earlier that afternoon, he started pointing out the window at these various landmarks. That was the site of a fatal motorcycle accident, he said, and that house up on the hill was home to a pretty gruesome murder-suicide back in the day. And this turnoff we were on, the one with the friendly North Carolinian, this is where Andy thinks Jennifer Katalinich parked her car on August 21st, 1996, the day she gave birth to, killed, and disposed of her baby girl in the reservoir below. You see, there's tragedy folded into the beauty of this place. And the tragic story of that baby, now known as Baby Faith, is why Andy and I were there that day at Horsetooth. I wanted to hear what it was like for him to investigate her homicide back in 1996. What it was like to see a community rally around and give a name to this unidentified newborn girl. I wanted to know how quickly her case went cold. And I wondered how Andy felt last year when he got the call from the sheriff's office telling him there'd been a break in the case after almost 23 years. A new DNA testing method had helped them zero in on Faith's mother, Jennifer Katalinich, and her arrest was imminent. What's even more interesting? Thanks to that same DNA testing method, investigators in Pueblo, Colorado, about 180 miles from Fort Collins, were zeroing in on the mother of baby Hope, Pueblo's very own unidentified newborn girl, who, eerily enough, was pulled from the banks of the Arkansas River 
just hours before Larimer County's baby Faith was found on August 24, 1996. The girls aren't related by blood, just by circumstance. And through the years, their cases remained oddly in step with each other. You see, they were found within hours of each other that August day, and after 23 years, their cases would be solved within months. I'm Erin Udell with the Fort Collins Coloradoan, and you're listening to the 28th episode of The Way It Was, a podcast podcast. This is the story of two babies, their two communities, and the more than two decades it took to find answers. This is the story of hope and faith. Good afternoon, my name is David Moore. I'm the Public Information Officer for the Larimer County Sheriff's Office. Thank you all for being here today as we share this important information with the community about a, a very historic case. And uh, hopefully you guys will be able to help share this information uh, to a, a broader audience than we can do on our own. On November 5th, 2019, a press release came through to our newsroom from the Larimer County Sheriff's Office. It was short, a bit vague, and basically said that that afternoon, there would be a press conference to update the public on the office's baby faith homicide case. Uh, we will have three speakers today. Uh, first will be uh, retired Lieutenant Andy Josie with the Larimer County Sheriff's Office. Andy. I'm Andy Josie, J-O-S-E-Y. In 1996, I was the Larimer County Sheriff's Office Investigation Sergeant. I remember the beginning of this case because I was there. On August 24, 1996, the Larimer County Sheriff's Office was called to a report of a possible deceased infant found in Horsetooth Reservoir west of Fort Collins. Sheriff's patrol deputies and county parks personnel immediately responded to the call. Upon the arrival of responding personnel, the report was confirmed. The deceased infant was found by two local 11-year-old boys who were waiting in the reservoir that day. The mid-90s, we had a string of, of uh, a lot of uh, homicides that we worked through that period. So, uh, well, a lot for us. You can probably hear the difference between those two clips. The first one is Andy at the press conference last November, and the second one is from our recent interview, almost a year later, out at Horsetooth Reservoir. See, my unit, and at the time, the investigations unit was only about a half a dozen of us. Mm-hmm. And we did everything from bad checks to homicides. I wanted to speak with Andy because of his personal involvement in the Baby Faith case. He led the investigation from that very first day, and it was his case until he retired in 2017, he told me. After they found the baby girl, she was quickly given her name, Faith, and the community rallied in support of her donating money to purchase a headstone for her at Roselawn Cemetery in Fort Collins. Josie organized a memorial service for Faith. It was the first and last one he'd ever plan in his law enforcement career. It's the only uh, homicide or, or death case where we didn't have family uh, as a part of it yeah. uh, in, my, in my tenure. 
Um, I mean, there's still missing person people out there, uh, but it's it's wholly different. Mm -hmm. that, that's why we did that because there was nobody else to do it, and we yeah. cared enough about Baby Faith to to do that. Something else that makes the Baby Faith case wholly different from other homicides was how similar it was to another case. Well, as you recall, uh, Baby Hope was found the same day as Baby Faith. Mm -hmm. uh, they were both named in the subsequent week or so. But uh, Pueblo County Sheriff's Office had a newborn infant girl that was discovered that same Saturday, August 24th. And uh, so initially it was like, oh my gosh, this is so rare. The, and, and the circumstances, Pueblo Reservoir, Arkansas River, were so similar that our first initial uh, thought or suspicion or, or question was, are they related? Uh, did the parents or mom or whomever, uh, were they traveling northbound or southbound? Did they drop Baby Faith off here and then Baby Hope or vice versa? Um, it was just such a rare uh, set of circumstances that, that prompted that to be our first uh, look into the case. In other words, let's get uh, tissue samples, let's get uh, blood typing, etc. done from both cases, get them to the Colorado Bureau of Investigations in Denver and see if we have a match. Of course they were both infants, they both still had their umbilical cord attached and they were both found in the same time period, both um, submerged in water. That's Detective David Butterfield with the Pueblo County Sheriff's Office. I drove down to Pueblo this summer to speak with him, and as you can hear, he was just running us through the similarities in Faith and Hope's cases. Here's how Hope's case started. With a call that came in from two local fishermen before 8.30 in the morning on August 24, 1996. Uh, Pueblo County Sheriff's Office deputies were dispatched to our nature center, and um, it was described as two fishermen located a deceased infant. And of course, sheriff's office deputies showed up. Um, the fishermen guided them to where the baby was located. Found out, yeah, she's a brand newborn, still had her umbilical cord. Um, started their investigation from there. During that time, we had the state fair going on. So they thought maybe it was a, um, a carnival, carnival employee or if it was a scared teenager that potentially placed the baby in the water. Um, through autopsy, of course, they found out that um, she had indeed drowned. She wasn't stillborn or anything like that. Several hours later, two 12-year-old boys were waiting in an eastern alcove of Horsetooth Reservoir near Dixon Dam when they found a black garbage bag sticking out of the water. And I was, you know, we were little kids, and I'm like, hey, look over here, I've I've got something, and you know, we we're excited that, you know, it could have been anything. Whatever we found, it was just, you know, we we're 12 year old kids. That's Richard Hyde, and back in 1996, he was known as Richie Hyde. He and his friend Luke were two days away from starting seventh grade at Blevins Middle School, when they decided to go on a hike to the A west of Fort Collins. And then they crossed over to Horsetooth Reservoir to cool off. I remember feeling around in the bag and it, you know, I thought it was just, you know, a bag full of trash. And 
I remember feeling around and I felt what felt like the bottom of a of like a two liter bottle. We ripped open a bag and then we could see a towel that was in the bag. It was like a brown towel, very similar to the ones I had at home. We were kind of, I think I was picking it up and kind of wringing the towel out and then out floats what looked like, you know, a, a doll that had been waterlogged for however long, um, face down. And I remember Luke had the towel at that time. I reached out and grabbed the, the doll with one hand and picked it up and turned it around. I mean, I'll never forget that. I mean, that's the part where I, I can go back to over and over and over again and remember vividly, explicitly, um, kind of looking into the baby's eyes. And I don't know how long I was looking, and I don't know how long I was holding it for her. And uh, and then Luke kind of freaked out, like, oh, my God, that's a baby. And then I just kind of dropped it, and we ran out of the water. Hyde said that he and Luke flagged down some scuba divers who were practicing in the nearby water, and one used his cell phone to call the authorities. Hyde's stepdad showed up to sit with the boys while deputies and investigators processed the scene and asked them questions. The boys started middle school as planned that following week, but Hyde was part of a big family and said he didn't really like sticking out, so he never really talked about that day with any of his friends not even Luke. He didn't go to face memorial service, though he now wishes he did. And he was 12, just starting a new school. He didn't want to be the kid who found a dead baby in the reservoir. Hyde said he and Luke ended up drifting apart after that day. They weren't the best of friends to begin with. But when they did cross paths, Hyde said they never really spoke about faith. Then Luke passed away unexpectedly in 2017. The years stretched on from that awful August day in 1996, and Hyde said he never really thought to check in on the case. There didn't seem to be a point. Baby Faith's homicide case, like Baby Hope's down in Pueblo, had gone cold. When did this case in your mind start to kind of go cold? Do you remember? Well, definitely uh, by the time 1997 came out, but I think even by then, you could verify through the report, but even by then, I think we, we had exhausted all information coming in. There was just nothing left. Recently released case reports from Larimer County detail several tips that came in immediately after baby Faith was found. And investigators followed them dutifully, meeting with high school counselors, convenience store clerks, and caseworkers who might have had leads on baby Faith's parents. But those tips started to dry up, and in Pueblo, it sounded like a similar story. Here's Detective Butterfield again. It lasted for about six months with the original, and then it would die down, and of course we'd get some type of lead. Um, retired captain for us, uh, Don Leach, he kept the case basically from 1996, and he'd been working it until he essentially passed it over to me in 2017 right before he retired and he would always look for something different some other place to go with it and he's got a ton of reports in there from things that he did butterfield said that the pueblo county sheriff's office submitted more dna from the baby hope case to the colorado bureau of investigation in 2010 and again they resubmitted when he took the case in 2017 
DNA from the baby Faith case was apparently also resubmitted around that time. And that's when Butterfield said both Larimer and Pueblo counties were able to confirm once and for all that Hope and Faith were not related. Those acts of submitting DNA in 2017 did something else, too. Apparently, it showed the CBI that these cases were still being actively looked at. So, when the CBI started a new pilot project trying to identify baby Jane and John Doe's from around the state early last year, guess who they chose? More on that after this break. When the snowflakes start to fly, Jack's Farm and Ranch has everything you need to be prepared. From snowblowers to shovels, salt, heaters, and more, they've got you covered. Shop Jack's locally to keep your animals warm with blankets, de-icers, heated buckets, bowls, and mats. Plus, don't forget warm clothing and footwear for the whole family before the next snow. Visit a Jack's location or order online at www.jacksgoods.com. So uh, traditionally out there in the world right now, we have kits like 23andMe, Ancestry.com, Family Tree, that um, several individuals of the public go to to search their ancestry. They're either looking for family members, maybe somebody was adopted, or they just truly have an interest in genealogy and want to build out their family trees. So that is kind of how it all started uh, with genetic genealogy. That is Carrie Davis, a forensic lab manager for the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, or the CBI. And earlier this year, I spoke with Carrie over the phone about what they call genetic genealogy, or what's often referred to as forensic genealogy. Um, and then at some point, um, somebody in law enforcement came up with the idea of maybe being able to search for missing persons. Uh, by tapping into this this type of testing. So that's exactly what happened. This practice of using genetic genealogy as an investigative tool made headlines back in April of 2018 when California authorities announced that they had used it to identify and arrest a suspect in its Golden State Killer cases, a spree of rapes and murders that terrorized Californians in the 1970s and 80s. And from there... Colorado cases started to be advanced and even solved using this little-known DNA testing and comparison technique. The CBI decided to try it out and launched a three-case pilot project with the goal of using genetic genealogy to identify baby Jane and John Doe's across the state. Last spring, they selected three cases, mainly focusing on ones that had seemed somewhat active in recent years. So they picked Baby Faith, Baby Hope, and Baby M, an unidentified newborn girl who was found wrapped in a blanket and placed in a box outside of a Safeway grocery store in Louisville, Colorado in October of 2001. While Louisville police confirmed Baby M was part of the CBI project, they didn't have any more information to share about the status of her case as of October 30th. In the cases of Baby Faith and Baby Hope, however, genetic genealogy worked. The girl's DNA was sent to the CBI retyped and submitted to a public genealogy database where it was compared with other submissions. As far as finding the father of Baby Hope, it was rather quick. Okay. Because I only had one male that I could really contact in Colorado. The rest were all 
spread out between other states and they were taking me a little while to get. But I just happened to get lucky with him being in Colorado and testing his DNA, finding out, yeah, he's related. Um, the mom took me a little longer just because all the females were located in Colorado. Well, except for one, I should say. And um, it came down to I had these females and I found four out of the five females DNA, but the one that I couldn't get was, uh, of course, Leanne, okay. the mom. And why was that? She didn't want to give it to me. When Butterfield says Leanne, he means Leanne Head, who has since been confirmed through DNA evidence as Baby Hope's mother. At the time of Hope's birth, Head would have been 28 years old. But we don't really know much else about her or the circumstances of Hope's birth and death because of what happened back on October 7th, 2019. So we contacted Leanne on a Friday in October and um, I was trying to get, uh, so I went up on Monday to talk to the father of baby Hope to see if he recognized Leanne, if he had any sexual relations with her, trying to get enough information where I could do a search warrant for her DNA. On my way back, I get a call from public police department, one of their detectives saying that we located Leanne's car and it's engulfed in flames with a body inside. Leanne Head died by suicide that day. And after getting a DNA sample during her autopsy, Detective Butterfield was able to finally confirm that she was Hope's mother. The Pueblo County Sheriff's Office announced the news about six months later, in early March 2020. Baby Hope's case was considered solved and officially closed after 23 years. Leanne Head's boyfriend at the time of her death declined to speak with me for this project, and a message I sent to her brother went unanswered. While working on this podcast, I learned that the details of Baby Hope's mother were statistically rare. You see, in trying to better understand neonaticides, the murders of babies by their parent in their first day of life, I spoke with Dr. Richard Martinez. Dr. Martinez is a forensic psychiatrist and professor at the University of Colorado's School of Medicine. And he told me that most mothers who commit neonaticide are young, typically in their teens, sometimes in their early 20s. And Leanne Head, of course, was quite a bit older. Here's Martinez. So the neonaticide group tends to be a younger group of women. They tend not to seek uh, prenatal care whatsoever. Um, and... Uh, some studies have shown that uh, the, the majority of women that uh, do this um, come from uh, lower socioeconomic circumstances, so resources are limited. Um, they are unmarried. Uh, often they do not have uh, a continued active relationship with the biological father. The biological father may not be in the picture whatsoever. And then most prominently is a phenomena of denial about the pregnancy. Um, a large number of the of mothers, uh, women, young women, often adolescents who who commit neonaticide are in a state of denial. The core reason this happens to some degree and almost universally is the young mother, uh, whether a teenager in early 20s, is. Remember, keeping this utterly secret feels tremendously isolated 
and feels little options other than uh, to separate herself from this child at the time of, of delivery. In the summer of 2019, when Larimer County Sheriff's Office investigators started looking into potential familial matches for baby Faith, they didn't know exactly what they'd find, but they knew the chances of her parents being young were high. So in their field of potential matches, they focused on the ones with Fort Collins connections, and particularly connections to CSU. We had um, a list of five people that could be baby Faith's parent, or one of them was going to be baby Faith's parent, um, and it was two males and three females. That was Rita Servine, the lead investigator on baby Faith's case. She and Captain Bob Coleman, also of the Larimer County Sheriff's Office, met with me toward the end of October of this year. So we didn't know exactly who was going to be that parent or how that person was going to be related to baby Faith. And through the process of elimination is how we found Jason. Jason is baby Faith's father. Investigators have determined Jason was unaware of Catalinich's pregnancy and not in Colorado when baby Faith was born or killed. Despite my efforts, I wasn't able to find Jason and ask him specific questions for this project. And because of all those factors, I've decided not to use Jason's last name in this episode. When investigators tracked down Jason last year, he was living in Maryland. And during an interview with Servine, he was shocked to hear about baby Faith. Not only her murder, but her very existence. Jason told Servine he was going to college in California at the time baby Faith was born. But he did go to high school in Colorado. And he told Servine about an off-and-on relationship he had with one girl who had lived in Fort Collins in 1995 and 96. A CSU student named Jennifer Turnahoy. Investigators found Turnahoy and learned she had since gotten married and was now Jennifer Katalinich, a wife and mom living in a nice neighborhood in Erie, Colorado. They got a search warrant to surreptitiously gather DNA samples from Katalinich's trash and the handle of her car door, and in mid-October 2019, DNA tests of those samples confirmed Katalinich was baby Faith's mother. Servine and Coleman interviewed her at the Broomfield Police Department on October 18th of last year. Well, yeah, I'll just be taking uh, some notes. Okay. So I'm going to have to interrupt you. But again, uh, Jennifer, we do appreciate this, and we're trying to do it with less inconvenience as we can. Okay. And... Um, Rita will be asking you some questions, but again, you're not under arrest. You don't have to talk to us if you don't want to. And even though we drove you here, or you can at any time tell us, I'm done talking to you, and we'll drive you back. Okay. That voice you just heard was Captain Coleman, and it's from the video of he and Servine's interview with Ketelinich that day. The two had approached Katalinich outside of her office and told her they were working to identify an abandoned baby. She agreed to come with them to the nearest police station, and as the interview gets going, they ask questions about her background, where she's from, what she does, what dorm she lived in at CSU. And the conversation turns more onto this abandoned baby, and Katalinich finally tells them, after denying it at first, that she was her mom. 
She starts to detail how her water broke the morning of August 21st, 1996, and how she gave birth alone in her college apartment. So I had a bag of pads there, and I took the plastic from a bag. What did you do with that plastic? How long did you hold it, huh? I don't know. It didn't seem like long. I mean, I, since she moved right there, so. No. Why did you hold that bag over her face? I've... Because I... Couldn't have a baby. Okay. Um, you held that bag over her face because... In case you couldn't fully hear that, Katalinich just told Coleman and Servine that she had used a piece of plastic packaging to smother baby Faith right after she'd been born. Katalinich then told them she placed the baby in a garbage bag with the towel she'd given birth on and drove the bag up to Horsetooth Reservoir. She put her in a backpack and carried her down to the shoreline. She weighed the garbage bag down with rocks and threw baby Faith into the water. In her interview, when asked why she went to Horsetooth Reservoir, Catalinage said fire stations weren't an option back then, likely a reference to safe haven laws that now let parents in crisis surrender their newborn babies to hospitals and fire stations. Colorado passed its safe haven law in 2000. Since then, 67 babies have been surrendered under it. Here's Servine again. I think it's important to say that um, at that year, at that time, it was 23 years. And Jennifer Catalinish has had 23 years of denial in her brain of what happened to this baby. Um, even up to a point where, I mean, we knew she was the mother going in. We had already had that um, confirmation done with some other testing that we had had collected from her. So we knew she was the mother, but um, even up to our first contact with her and even first asking and second asking and third asking, are you this baby's mother? She denied it. Um, And again, I think think a huge part of that is I've denied it for 23 years and I've been able to hide her delivery that long. And so I think had we not had the DNA piece, Jennifer Catalinish would still be denying that baby Faith was her daughter. Catalinich was arrested November 5th, 2019, on charges of first-degree murder of a victim under 12 and second-degree murder. Earlier this year, she pleaded guilty to two amended charges, one count of criminally negligent homicide of an at-risk juvenile and another of tampering with physical evidence. Together, both charges carried a possible maximum prison sentence of 15 years. On October 22nd of this year, Katalinich was sentenced to 90 days of jail time, three years in a community corrections residential rehabilitation program, eight years probation, and 500 hours of community service. Katalinich did not respond to any interview requests I sent through her family and her attorney. 
In my interview with Servine and Coleman, I ended on one question. Did they feel that justice had been served? Servine said she understood the judge's position, but that she wished for a harsher sentence. She called the sentence Katalinich got a punch to the gut. Here's what Coleman said. When we first started the case, we didn't start the case to uh, put someone in jail necessarily. We started the case to identify her and give her a name, first and last name. And that part of the that part of the case, then, then I think that's, that's what we set out to do, and we accomplished that. The cases of Baby Faith and Baby Hope were laced with different layers of tragedy from the start. Not only did you have two babies who had barely gotten the chance to live, but you had two mothers out there. Nobody knew their stories, their circumstances, their reasons their names. We still don't know all of those things. Far from it. But I think back to that drive I took with Andy Josie at the start of this episode, and how he pointed out the scenes of these various crimes he'd responded to when he worked for the sheriff's department. And I thought of what it'll be like for him to drive that stretch of road over Dixon Dam now, or what it'll be like for anyone close to this case, for that matter. What will it be like to pass the shore where she was found and for the first time in more than 20 years actually know what happened? Thank you for listening to this episode of The Way It Was, a podcast podcast. This was a tough one, so I appreciate you all hanging in there to learn about hope and faith stories. And thanks so much to everyone who made this episode possible. Detective David Butterfield, Investigator Rita Servine, Captain Bob Coleman, Retired Lieutenant Andy Josie, Richard Hyde, Dr. Richard Martinez, and the CBI. And thanks, as always, to our sponsor, Jack's Outdoor Gear Farm and Ranch, without which I wouldn't be able to tell any of these stories. Bye, guys. This podcast was brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear Farm and Ranch. For 65 years, Jack's has been helping people get outdoors having fun. With warm clothing layers and footwear to keep your toes toasty, don't let the colder weather stop you from your next adventure. Jack's Outdoor Gear has gear for winter fun in the snow and on the trails. Visit their website at www.jacksgoods.com to place an order or find the contact information for the store nearest to you.